The NFL trade deadline is rapidly approaching. Will the first place Seahawks make any moves before 1 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday edition, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're in County Kildare, Ireland, or Tokyo, Japan, wherever you're listening from, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We got a jam-packed episode coming your way. The NFL trade deadline coming at 1 p.m. Pacific time tomorrow. Will the Seahawks make any moves? Rob and I are going to be examining some possible trades, including a few proposals from some of our diehard listeners. We're looking forward to combing through those, discussing Pete Carroll's impact on this current Seahawks team and how his legacy may be changing right in front of our eyes. And, of course, our Monday musings, in-depth takeaways from yesterday's win over the Giants. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. All offseason long, and really this has been going on for years but really was emphasized this offseason. Pete Carroll has been telling reporters such as myself, yourself, that he doesn't take the time to read what we write about him or his team. But on Sunday, it became apparent after a 27-13 win over the Giants vaulted Seattle to 5-3, and three, kept him in first place in the NFC West. And maybe, just maybe, Coach Carroll hasn't been able to quite get rid of all of that noise. He certainly has been paying attention and decided to posterize his critics a little bit, a slam dunk on the podium with a big smile on his face. Just take a listen to this clip, and I really enjoyed it from the press box. This is really special. This is a very special opportunity right now, and it's it's been because of all of the hype and the circumstances and all that, and the challenge of it, and the doubting and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I like I like. I like this challenge. I like this whole thing. I've liked it from the start, and uh, we wouldn't be here. And, and but the fact that the guys are coming through, it's because because of the way they've worked and, and how they're bringing themselves to work every day and how much they care about it, it just makes it like it's a it's a coach's thrill. It really is, and, and that's all we could hope for. And, and I hate that we were crappy early in the year and we weren't doing stuff right, but. You know, we held on to it, and we knew where we could. We knew, we felt like we knew where we could go, and we're getting going. So uh, it's uh you know, all the people that doubt, like you, you're losing. You know, you know, like we run the ball too much. You don't understand football, and you know, you don't. You know, you can't stay up with the the, the new game and all that kind of stuff. That's a bunch of crap. I'm telling you. <laughs> Look, we're doing fine. We're all right. So, I don't mind proving it day in and day out. That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> I absolutely loved that. Pete Carroll just cut into the chase there, and obviously, he was in a great mood, Rob, because the Seahawks had a commanding. 27 to 13 win over a Giants team that entered yesterday's game six and one. And really, they showed a lot to me yesterday with the injuries that they had making this a 13-13 game going into the fourth quarter. I mean, the Giants are pesky, they're well coached, and you can see it in all phases of the game. And yet the Seahawks were able to put them away. And also Pete Carroll tied his mentor, Bud Grant, former Vikings coach. Pete Carroll was an assistant for him for a long time, tied him for 18th all-time in NFL history for 
wins by a coach, 168 of them so far, the majority of those coming in Seattle. So he obviously had reason to be really excited, but his team is five and three. This is a team that was supposed to be contending for a top five pick, not a playoff spot. And yet after this win, a statement win over a Giants team that really impressed me yesterday, looks like they're going to be hanging around for a chance to make the postseason themselves as a surprise contender. He has every reason to be making victory laps around his critics that just could not be silenced this offseason. Who's got the last laugh now? Well, I think that certainly Pete Carroll does. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't show up there, kind of like the DK Metcalf combine me and rip off his shirt and just flex a little bit. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, th this was supposed to be a meeting of the two surprise teams in all of the NFL, the two possible front runners at this point for NFL coach of the year and, and Brian Dable, the New York Giants have done a terrific job, but I, I really think that they kind of outthought themselves a little bit. I think that this is a, an example of the teacher school and the pupil a little bit, not that Brian Dable worked with Pete Carroll in the past, <clears throat> but you have a senior head coach here in, in Pete Carroll, who I think is really truly proving himself as hall of fame worthy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago and he just continues to rattle off victories. I mean, Corbin, we, we knew that stopping Saquon Barkley was going to be what Seattle had to do. That, that was going to be their top priority. But still, for the New York Giants to come into this game, to not give the ball to Saquon Barkley basically as a, in a, on a handoff until their third drive of the game, um, I think they kind of fooled themselves. Daniel Jones went into halftime with 17 yards passing. The Seahawks dominated this game. They dominated the Los Angeles Chargers, another team that – Prior to the season, was kind of bandied about as a Super Bowl contender. The, the the Giants again have been basically the biggest story, the biggest positive surprise, and the Seahawks dominated both of those two teams. So, with a quarterback, by the way, Geno Smith, that I certainly didn't think was going to be able to pull this off, and you know, I was a little bit more complimentary than most. You were more complimentary than probably all. When it comes to what Geno Smith might be able to do, there's a lot of people out there eating an awful lot of crow. And I, I think that it's you know understandable that, that Pete Carroll would take this moment to, to be able to kind of puff his chest up a little bit and just say, hey, you know, and, and this is just getting going. That, that's the most exciting thing about it is this is a very young, a very hungry team, a team that believes in itself, a team that's going to be playing the last place Arizona Cardinals this upcoming week. There's no reason to think that this is the peak. This should just get just just be the start of things to move, you know, moving forward. That to me is the most exciting element about this entire process. And I think anybody that has listened to this podcast knows that neither one of us were on the fire Pete Carroll bandwagon. Neither one of us were thinking yeah. that way, but we certainly explored what the future would look like for Pete because of the fallout of the Russell Wilson trade and questions about where this franchise was going. And I think you and I both made the argument, hey, let's see what Pete can do in two years here with this group because they're going to have all these draft picks. I don't think either one of us could have envisioned things playing out the way that they have here these first eight weeks, though. It's not just Geno Smith. I mean, that has been a big part of the reason the Seahawks have won five of their first eight games. And that confidence that Pete Carroll instilled in Geno Smith and how the entire team is now following him as their new leader beating his former teams convincingly. Uh, you know, he can say all he wants about the vindication aspect. There's definitely got to be some vindication to this. Beating two teams that had him on their roster with aging quarterbacks and they didn't keep him around, particularly the Giants who they beat yesterday. But 
there's so much more to it. You've got six rookies going out and getting better each week as starters. Blaine Maffe, for example, yesterday with a sack and playing great run defense. Ken Walker the third with a remarkable touchdown run. And just seeing how the defense has now galvanized itself with some of the tweaks they've made the last few weeks. And on offense, they're fourth in the NFL in neutral first and second down passing rate. The Seattle Seahawks with Geno Smith. You got to give Shane Waldron credit on that too. But I mean, Pete Carroll, as he said there, you know, can't keep up with the times. That's a bunch of bull crap. He is proving it right now. And maybe, just maybe, he was more with it than people were realizing the last couple of years. And there were other factors, one more notable than others, that really was holding this offense back. And here they are. They've got the sixth, I think they're sixth in DVOA on football outsiders for offense. I mean, who would have thought that going into the season? And that's just a testament to Pete Carroll, his philosophy. He's reinstilled the culture that has been such a big part of their success over the past decade plus. He has reinvigorated that culture, and he's got everybody buying in from veterans to young guys, and you're seeing the product on the field. This really enhances his legacy, and if he wasn't a Hall of Famer already, he can get this team to the postseason, which right now I think they got a really good chance to do that and then keep playing this way. Uh, I think he can punch in his ballot for Cam. He's already there. I'd like to think so. I mean, again, I mean, I, I want to give you a great deal of credit for for you know jumping on Geno Smith early on, and because I I was all on Drew Locke and really thought that that he would wind up becoming Seattle starter. But I will absolutely uh, raise my hand up in, in saying that I thought all this kind of nonsense about oh fire Pete Carroll, oh fire John Schneider, I thought that it was nonsense from the jump. I just see a guy in Josh Schneider, who I think is one of the elite talent evaluators in all of the NFL. And believe me, I have conversations with a significant number of them over the last 20 years or so. And then with Pete Carroll, there are just very few people. Use the word reinvigorate. There, there are very, very, very few people in any line of work that I've ever seen that have that invigorating ability the way that he does. I mean, he just, you know... And Marquise Goodwin talked about a little bit uh, in during his post game uh, conversations, and he just kind of talked about how how guys are willing to kind of break through a wall. They're willing to put their head down and smash their brains, and I think is the way that he said it. Pete Carroll is remarkable in that way, and just his motivating ability. Um, and I think that uh, that that sometimes gets lost a little bit. You know, we we kind of sometimes focus in on the players, and and I certainly do that. that that's what I do. Is I try to watch the players rather than the X's and O's. Again, I I, I watch the Jimmys and the Joes. But Pete Carroll's and John Schneider's ability to turn over this roster and still be in the position that they're in. I mean, year in, year out, regardless of who's the quarterback, regardless of who's the running back, regardless of who the wide receivers or offensive tackles or linebackers or corners, regardless, they are playoff contenders. And that is just absolutely remarkable. The only coach out there who really is able have been able to do this consistently, Bill Belichick, who of course is going to go in the Hall of Fame, Andy Reid, and who's had some superstar quarterbacks himself. I mean, who else in the modern era of football are we talking about? And yet those guys get all of the attention. Pete Carroll is like, oh, by the way. And so, again, as you said, I mean, I think that he has already punched his ticket to the Hall of Fame. I think it's, uh, you know, we're, we're late in suggesting so. And if he continues to do it this year in the way that he has with this kind of kind of also ran kind of group of players, whether they be veterans, whether they be rookies, 
I think that he is again just kind of proving that we some people at least are late to the party and recognizing just what a remarkable coach, what a remarkable motivator that he is. In P and Pete, the Seahawks once again can trust if they ever had any doubts about that anyway. But certainly Pete Carroll has reinvigorated the culture here. He's got the players bought in, and I think now. He's got, most importantly, the fan base bought in. That stadium yesterday, that felt like 2012 and 2013. And it's felt like that a lot this season. Fans are really enjoying it. I think the most important part, you could tell Pete Carroll was really enjoying it. Last year, by his standards, was really difficult. You could tell he was having a hard time. It was not fun for him. He was trying to find ways to do it because it's a positive coach, but it, it was difficult. This year, he's really having a blast. So are the players. It's showing on the field. And they're hoping to keep this rolling again. This is just the tip of the iceberg with the young team. They think they're just going to keep getting better as they hit into next week's matchup, their rematch with the Arizona Cardinals. Up next, we're going to get to the trade deadline, 1 p.m. Pacific time tomorrow. Teams have till then to make deals. Will the Seahawks be one of them that bolsters their roster before the deadline? We're going to look at some proposals from our listeners as well as our own proposals coming up next here on Locked on Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Recently, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues, and it's been a struggle for me and my family to cope with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. And it's not just a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. And BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for all of our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbett Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week and for your second listen make sure to check out locked on sports today for the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only locked on can provide locked on sports today is available on the odyssey app youtube and wherever you get your podcasts the trade deadline set to come tomorrow at 1 p.m Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern. And in the past, Rob, the Seahawks have made some splashy moves before the deadline. Quandre Diggs a few years ago coming over from the Detroit Lions. And then the year after that, Carlos Dunlap arriving from the Cincinnati Bengals. John Schneider has been willing to roll the dice and make moves, dealing away some late-round picks. He's made some shrewd moves in the process, Diggs in particular, getting him for just a fifth-round pick. That was one hell of a trade deadline heist. So he's made deals. But this year, it feels a little different. Even with the Seahawks being a surprise at 5-3 and three and atop the NFC West, they have less than $4 million in cap space available right now. All those draft picks, four of them are in the first and second round next year. You'd think that John Schneider wants to hang on to those. It doesn't necessarily feel like this is the time where he is going to be turning stones over, trying to see if he can find a deal, unless it's the perfect offer. Yeah, but I think that he has a great deal of flexibility because you do have so many draft picks. Of course, yeah. the, the you know the move the Denver Broncos to you know 
Russell Wilson going over there. Now you have the two first round picks, two second round picks. Um, you know, Seattle has a great deal of flexibility. As you mentioned, the salary cap flexibility is a little bit different, but that is something that that the Seahawks have been able to kind of convince teams in the past, and, and a lot of other NFL teams are doing the same kind of thing here, where they are able to talk the the, the current teams into taking a great deal of the salary to kind of grease the wheels on some of these deals. Now, I, I think that really there are three positions that I still have some concerns. Well, the, the Seahawks have been absolutely remarkable throughout October. Three-game winning streak, of course, and again, another winnable opponent here in the Arizona Cardinals up on the docket next. I, I think that this, as you said, does not make necessarily as much sense as what we've seen in the past. But still, Trader John Schneider, I think, always has uh, you know his kind of feelers out there, and he has so many relationships with NFL clubs out there. So to me, the three positions, I think, on at the, at the center position on offense, that that's biggest. That's the only real position I have concerns about at this point. Um, I also think that inside linebacker and yet another pass rusher also would make some sense if Seattle were to become buyers. They certainly have a, a glut of talent, in my opinion, at the tight end position. I think at cornerback. They, they might be sellers at this point just because the fact that they have starting caliber players who are not actually getting starting minutes. And there might be other teams out there that might be able to, you know, trade another veteran player or perhaps give the Seahawks a, a draft pick in return. But I'm going to focus in at the center position. That was one thing that was I was concerned about in this game against the Giants. I've been concerned about basically all year long. I have been one of those who's been pounding the table that Seattle should be drafting a center here. So I, I have a couple of different names out there that I want to make sure that I mention. And I think that if you're going to have this conversation, why not start with your former uh, NFL executive and Scott Fitterer, now the general manager of the uh, Carolina Panthers. And Bradley Bozeman is my kind of a center. I think he's been the kind of center that the Seahawks have focused in on the past. He's a 6'5", 315-pounder. He came out of Alabama. He was a starter with the Baltimore Ravens. He is on a one-year deal uh, with the Carolina Panthers. He now is their starter. And that's one of the reasons why I think that this could be a difficult trade to pull off because the Carolina Panthers have been starting a guy named Pat Elfline, a very good center. Unfortunately for both Elfline, Carolina, as well as Seattle, uh, in my opinion, Elfline went down with the injury here. So Bozeman has moved up to that center that starting center position. So if Seattle was to go and try and get him, I think honestly, he's probably worth a sixth or seventh round pick. Seattle has a couple of sixth round picks. They are, excuse me, one sixth round pick, two fifth rounders. I think that you'd have to try to pull him out of Carolina because, again, he is expected to be their starter moving forward, Elfline, their starter, going down. So you're going to have to kind of pull him away from Fitterer and the Carolina Panthers. And so that's why I think that if you really want him, and he, to me, has the size, the physicality that Seattle has traditionally looked for, then you probably have to go a pick higher than that. We know the Carolina Panthers have been sellers, obviously, Christian McCaffrey. Now as a member of the San Francisco 49ers and to great success, at least in, in yesterday's game. Um, I, I think that Bradley Bozeman would make a lot of sense. I think that he would be the kind of the shot in the arm to make Seattle's offensive line, which has been a relative strength, make it that much stronger. Yeah, with Austin Blythe having a knee sprain, we don't know if he's going to miss any time. Kyle Fuller actually played fairly well yesterday filling in for him. So who knows what the Seahawks are thinking of that position. But if Blythe is going to be out for any period of time, they may be looking to deal for a center. 
I've still got to go to inside linebacker. If we're looking at positions, and I'm going to be honest, Rob, when we were putting this together, I I was looking at Seattle's roster, and I'm thinking, you know, they got some injured guys who are going to be coming back here soon. I just don't necessarily think they need to make any deals to improve this roster. But if there's one position that I think that they could still get an upgrade without having to give up one of their top draft picks, I argued Seattle should try to sign this guy in free agency and bring him back to the Pacific Northwest. Ended up going to Pittsburgh instead. But there's a little bit of a history between John Schneider and the Steelers making trades. So I actually think Miles Jack, the pride of Bellevue, I think you bring him in for a fifth-round pick. And ironically, this fifth-round pick the Seahawks got from the Steelers for Akella Witherspoon last year. I think you call the Steelers up, say, hey, we'll give you back the fifth-round pick you gave us for Witherspoon. We'll take Miles Jack off your hands. And with only half the season's cap counting. It's going to be less than a $2 million cap hit for this year. You have him under contract next year at a fairly affordable contract. He's still only 27, really athletic. I know PFF doesn't have great grades on it, but again, I only put so much stock in those. I think that this is still a kid that can come in and make some impact plays. His athleticism is going to help him in coverage. You can blitz him. I just think Seattle needs to add another guy to that fold at inside linebacker, even if they're going to be doing some rotational stuff. Cody Barton has not shown enough to me to suggest that he is a guy that you can play 65, 70% of the snaps and consistently get starter quality reps from him. He played well yesterday, but I think Miles Jack would be an upgrade there and you wouldn't have to give up that much to be able to get it. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, with, with the season halfway over, I mean, and basically half that pay, that half that money has already been allocated. So if, if Seattle want to get cute again, I'm going to kind of focus in on that center position. To me, that is the biggest area of concern uh, for this club. E- even before Austin Blythe went down with that knee sprain against the Giants this past week, I, I saw high snaps. I saw low snaps. He was going against a dominant uh, defensive tackle and Dexter Lawrence, as well as Leonard Williams inside. But at the same time, Seattle not only has some big guys going up against in Arizona, then at the week after that, Tampa Bay, Vita Vea. Anybody remember him from the University of Washington? So, again, there's a lot of big guys. And if Seattle is looking to try and make a big postseason run, obviously you're going to be playing against some really good football players. So, again, if you, if you want to go crazy here, then I think that you kind of go back to guys like Ryan Kelly, pro bowler in the Indianapolis Colts, a team that has struggled a little bit. They might be sellers at this point. Um, you know, I think that um, another guy, Frank Ragno from the Detroit Lions, they could be sellers at this point. You're talking about two guys who are under 30. They're two of the best and highest paid centers in all of the NFL. But I think if you want to kind of strike that medium balance, Matt Hennessy, a guy that I'm a really big fan of, um, when he came out of Temple a couple of years ago, Corbin, he was drafted in the middle rounds, and then the, the Atlanta Falcons came back a year later, took Drew Dahlman from Stanford in the middle rounds. Dahlman is a third-round pick, actually wound up beating out uh, Hennessy, and I, I really think that these are two starting caliber centers who fit in well with Seattle's offense. The Atlanta Falcons are a team that I don't view as necessarily as a, a team that even though I think that they're very much competing for first place in the NFC South, but still that doesn't look like a team I think is really going to go places. They might be willing to trade a, a reserve. Um, so to me, that might be something that you consider as well. Again, center position is one that I have huge concerns about, and I do think that Seattle might be able to get a player at that spot. Again, if you want to invest a second or a third round pick, they might you might be able to get a Pro Bowl caliber player for a team that's losing. If you want to get a young guy who is still 
with two or three years left on his contract, Hennessy might be the guy that they focus in on. I think pass rush, and you mentioned that as one of your three positions of need. I think that is still an area that the Seahawks could try to add another piece without necessarily breaking the bank, without giving up high draft picks to do it. Like they're not going to be trading with Denver, giving them back one of their first round picks or one of their second round picks for Bradley Chubb. They're not going to be doing that. But I'm going to throw out a name of a familiar face that has played a season in Seattle in Jadevian Clowney. And I know that the stats are not there. He has one sack this year. He's played in four games. I think he's been banged up a little bit. Injuries have been an issue for him throughout his career, but just hear me out on this one, Rob. This guy is carrying a cap hit for the entire season that is under $3.6 million. So he is going to fit in your salary cap. And you look early in his career, he thrived playing in a 3-4 defense for the Houston Texans. Not exactly the same scheme, but this is a player you can move around. We've seen what Bruce Irvin's been able to do the last couple of weeks as a veteran playing on this defense. And I feel like Jadevian Clowney, at this stage of his career, He's probably not a guy that's going to be a starter for half the teams in the league. He's certainly not going to start for Seattle right now, but he can give you reps, especially if Daryl Taylor is going to miss some time with a hip injury. Why not trade a sixth round pick to the Cleveland Browns? And I think Cleveland would take a late round pick at this point with them being two and five and really struggling for a veteran that isn't probably part of their future plans. Seattle can say, hey, we'll give you a sixth round pick. And we'll bring Clowney back into the fold. He enjoyed his time in Seattle. And you're going to be able to pay him peanuts for the rest of the season on a one-year contract. I think both parties win. All three parties, both or the Browns, the Seahawks, and Genevieve Clowney would all benefit from this. So I don't think it's going to happen. But if I'm John Schneider, and those are the kind of trades I'm looking for, where I don't have to give up high draft picks, that might be one that is a player that can still have a substantial impact for your defense real quick rob i want to go through a few proposals from our listeners and we're going to play a little yay or nay here whether you would agree to that deal or not and our first one here coming from max hawks the seahawks get brandon cooks from the texans in exchange for a third round pick in 2023 another receiver for geno smith to throw to yay or nay rob do you think that that'd be a trade that would make sense Oh, gay or nay is difficult. I, I would say nay because a third round pick to me is a little bit rich considering how much Brandon Cooks is owed this year. However, I think he's a spectacular player. I'm just in a hugely encouraged by the fact that DK Metcalf did put Tyler Lockett, of course, as well, both questionable to start the game, did play. And I really think that Marquise Goodwin can play, can run that role as the the, the deep uh, the, the deep receiver threat that Brandon Cooks excels at. I like the player. I just think it's a little bit rich what you might have to give up for him. Next one here coming from Nose Tackles. This is actually the Seahawks as sellers, and this has been a rumor that's been out there. Sending Sidney Jones in this proposal to the Cincinnati Bengals, they could use some help at outside cornerback in exchange for a 2023 fourth-round pick. And I'll say this right now, Rob, I would be going yay, yay, yay on this all day long if I could get a fourth-round pick for Sidney Jones right now. It is not happening, though. I think you could maybe squeeze a sixth-round pick out of a team that's cornerback desperate. And there are some teams out there that could use help in that position. Cincinnati might be one of them, but you're not getting a fourth-round pick for a guy that's on a one-year deal and has not started any games this season as well as he played end of last year. So I think it's a trade that could happen, but it's not going to be for that kind of compensation. It's going to be a sixth or seventh rounder probably if you're looking in terms of compensation. And Rob, this is one I know you were excited about before the show. The Indianapolis 
Colts, they are kind of in no man's land right now. The Seahawks getting DeForest Buckner for a 2023 first round pick. I think I know what your answer is going to be on this one, but this one kind of feels like it is going against reality a little bit. Well, possibly. You know, again, I, I just made an argument for going for a Ryan Kelly, the, the Colts All Pro center. Same thing. If you can get a, a Pro Bowl All Pro caliber defensive tackle, um, you know, like DeForest Buckner, who does have experience playing 3 4 as well as 4 3, and is just a monster. I mean, my goodness, I, I have a great deal of respect for everybody on Seattle's defensive line. To me, that has been the biggest turnaround in October is the way that their run defense has, cha- has changed things. But still, I don't know that they have anybody who is nearly as good as DeForest Buckner. You would love to see the former University of Oregon, San Francisco 49ers superstar, come back to the West Coast. I love the idea of bringing DeForest Buckner back. Uh, at the same time, I just don't know that Seattle is going to be willing to do it. But if the Indianapolis Colts truly are in, in sell mode and they're willing to give up a player at DeForest Buckner's caliber, to me, he is the player on the Indianapolis Colts that I would be most excited about. I love Jonathan Taylor, but again, you got a superstar here in Ken Walker. So to me, of all the players in the Colts, I have to agree with what our, 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 our viewer, and again, thank you to all of our viewers, listeners, uh, you know, absolutely thank you. Uh, you know, I, I again, DeForest Buckner is a superstar, though. You could add superstars, you win titles. That It's as simple as that. And our last one real quick here. I had to put this one because this is one I'm very intrigued by. Another trade to the Pittsburgh Steelers coming from Seahawks France on Twitter. Seattle sending a third-round pick to the Steelers for Chase Claypool. Now, I'm going to say nay on this just because I think a third-round pick for a receiver when that is not a position of need, that is too rich. That's probably what the Steelers are wanting, minimum, in exchange for a young player like Claypool that has a ton of untapped potential, has already done some great things in the NFL. But I'm also thinking about the possibilities. Can you imagine being a defense having to deal with DK Metcalf and Chase Claypool, two massive super athletic, pass-catching human beings. And, oh, by the way, Tyler Lockett and Marquise Goodwin are also out there. And D. Eskridge, have fun. Uh, at least on Madden, that would be a lot of fun. But I think third-round pick is too rich, so I'm going to say nay on that. But certainly, that is an intriguing possibility. We're going to get to our Monday musings coming up next, our in-depth takeaways coming out of yesterday's win over the New York Giants. We'll be looking at offense, defense, as well as special teams. We'll get to that coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Whether you're looking to pop the question, have a milestone to celebrate, or want to let your love sparkle, Blue Nile can help you make your celebrations even more memorable. As the original online jeweler, Blue Nile offers the largest selection of independently graded diamonds and pieces priced significantly below traditional retailers. And Blue Nile has helped millions of couples create their perfect engagement ring. Their easy online tools let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style. Blue Nile's Bench Jewelers will then help you handcraft her perfect one-of-a-kind engagement ring. Looking for a piece of fine jewelry to commemorate a special milestone, but still having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has you covered with jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. Shop stress-free at Blue Nile's 100% satisfaction guarantee. All Blue Nile orders are insured and shipped for free and discreet packaging. They also offer overnight shipping if you're in a rush. Make your moment sparkle with Blue Nile. Go to BlueNile.com and use the code Locked On to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. That's BlueNile.com, code Locked On to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more.
You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We greatly appreciate all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Seahawks maintained their hold on first place in the NFC West with an exciting 27-13 win over the Giants. Really the biggest statement win the Seahawks have had so far this year going up against a previously 6-1 opponent that was right on the heels of the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles and beating them at their own game. Physical football, getting some big plays down the field. Rob, let's start our Monday musings on offense. What jumped out to you on the offensive side of the football from yesterday's game? Well, again, I think it's easy to kind of focus in on Geno Smith because I thought that he was spectacular as we're now growing used to him being. Um, some of his pre-snap reads, I, I think, are you know really a stark contrast to what we saw with the, the prior quarterback, who, of course, Russell Wilson got a great deal of respect throughout the league and, you know, I, I think justly deserved. But one of the things that I had concerns about with Russell Wilson, there were, there were times where I thought that the, the defense – um, would would creep up in a blitz formation um, or, or would basically give a tell. And I just didn't see him react very well in Seattle and certainly now with the Denver Broncos. I think there have been some ugly, ugly plays where for Russell Wilson where the, the, it was obvious what the defense is doing and he just has not reacted very well or his teammates have not reacted very well. Yeah. That has been kind of quite the opposite here with Juno Smith. There were just so many times where I thought that the Giants, you know, kind of Wick Martindale, the defensive coordinator, who, you know, prior to this game, Corbin, you might remember, certainly I hope you know some of our listeners might remember, I was giving Wick Martindale a great deal of credit because he is as aggressive as it gets. And yet he would have his team come up and, and do some do some blitzes. And Geno Smith read them, um, adjusted, made some audibles. Um, you know, the, the, the touchdown to Tyler Lockett that essentially was the, the clincher in this game. I mean, that was a, that was audible at the line of scrimmage. That was a kind of check with me to Tyler Lockett. And, yep. you know, credit to Geno Smith making a spectacular throw, Tyler Lockett making that catch. I mean, there, there were some really exciting things there. I, I love the scripting that Seattle had in the beginning of the game. There, there are so many things about this game, Corbin, I really love. As I said, you know, basically in our first segment there, I really thought that Pete Carroll and his coaching staff getting a lot of credit to Shane Waldron. Um, you know, I, I think that they basically game planned this game differently than they had. They recognized how, the magnitude of this game, and they came through beautifully. Yeah, I've got to go to the outside for my big takeaway here because we could talk about Gino and the pre-snap stuff. It's been spectacular all season long, and for especially with a backup center, that was maybe the most surprising yeah. thing is how they continued to keep rolling. I thought the second half they did a better job of protecting Gino than they did in the first half, and that's really a testament to Andy Dickers and the job he's doing with the offensive line. Waldron is the coordinator, but Gino making those calls pre-snap, getting his guys in the right position knowing what the Giants are going to do and having audible set up to be able to counter what the opponent is doing. And an aggressive defense, if you can do that, you can take advantage. There are opportunities to beat a team that likes to send five, six, seven rushers if you can get the football out. And they were able to do that in the second half and down the stretch to win this football game. But what really stood out to me on the outside, Marquise Goodwin 
we can talk about the speed element. And obviously with his Olympic background, even with him now being 31, he is still a guy that can flat out fly. But where he has really made a difference for this offense, how many times over the last three years in this podcast, Rob, have I bemoaned the fact the Seahawks cannot create after the catch or they're near the bottom of the NFL? There were two or three times yesterday. We've seen it in previous games, too. The Chargers game, he had a big play taken away by a pass interference penalty on D. Eskridge. He was just getting after it as a blocker a little bit too early. We have seen Goodwin, when he gets the ball in his hands, this isn't just a guy that's fast. He has the ability to make guys miss, and he uses that speed to dart through tiny creases and pick up yardage after the catch. And this is something this offense has been badly missing for so many years. And to see Marquise Goodwin kind of fill that role, and and he's figured out where he fits into this offense. And we've seen him make a few plays downfield, but where he's really been a difference maker is his ability to create after the catch. And that just gives defenses another thing they have to worry about. And it opens up those deep balls to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett makes life a little easier for the tight ends. It has really had a tangible effect on this entire offense, his ability to create yards after the catch. and had several nice plays that he did that yesterday. Let's flip the script over to the defensive side of the football now. And this team, they've just totally taken a 180. This was really the litmus test, though, with the Giants being such a dominant running football team all season long to go out and hold them under three yards per carry. Saquon Barkley, just 53 rushing yards. I mean, that had to be the number one, number two, and number three storyline here is just how damn impressive they were slowing down number 26. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we, we talked about this prior to the game that we thought, you know, on our Wednesday matchup show, we basically said it was, you know, as you just said, I mean, priority one through a thousand to really slow down number 26 because he is that dynamic. There were so many runs that he had when they actually ran the ball. It took him into their third series before they actually just gave him a handoff. Um, you know, but when they did, I mean, you kind of had to hold your breath. But you can just see how dynamic of an athlete he is. Ken Walker is very similar for, for the Seahawks. Um, but at the same time, give the Seahawks a, a great deal of credit. They were able to bottle them up and basically make him a non-factor, get out to that early lead. And, and that's kind of how they do things. I, I kind of, just like we did with Shane Waldron a moment ago and, and Geno Smith, the quarterback position, again, deserves a great deal of credit. I thought their game planning was spectacular in this game. Um, you know, the, the fact that almost every single game, every, almost every single snap we've seen so far, um, Chenna Nuosu has been lined up over the left tackle. And in this game, or excuse me, the right tackle. Um, and in this game, he was going up against the left tackle, leaving Boye Mafe to be going up against the right tackle. And that kind of, I think, confused the Giants here. So to me, that that was just kind of an indication of Seattle's preparation in, in this football game. Um, to me, that was one of the most intriguing things about this. And then we, we've talked about this before. Seattle's ability to create turnovers. And that's a great deal of credit to the 12s out there as well. They were loud. They were proud. Um, and and that, I think, was a huge factor in this game. I mean, it just kind of completely rendered the Giants almost Lilliputian-like um, with, with their inability to, to actually kind of play the big physical game in which they have been able to be as successful as they have all season long. So to me, again, uh, I, I thought that was the most impressive thing. And I, I do got to go back to the offense for one moment. I think we kind of buried the lead there. Just the fact that DK Metcalf 
missed the entire week of practice. Tyler Lockett misses much of the weeks of practice as well. And they both start, I think it's just kind of, again, just a, a statement about how big of a game this was. The Seahawks recognized it, did not only got their best players on the field, had their best game planning, in my opinion, offense and defense of the season so far. They recognized this was a, a must-win kind of a game, a truly flex kind of a game. And to be able to pull it off, to me, again, I think it's been shockwaves across the entire NFL. And I'm glad you pointed that out, too, because that really was one of the huge storylines coming out of this game is that Metcalf and Lockett not only played, but they each scored touchdowns. Lockett should have had two and dropped one of them. I mean, he had had such a rough game, but he went from goat to hero with that touchdown in the fourth quarter. And DK, they came right out throwing to him. I didn't think he looked hurt at all. He was running like his usual self. Lockett, I still I can see a little bit. He looks like he's hampered a little bit, but Metcalf looked like typical DK Metcalf, but as different as these two guys are as receivers, size-wise and skill set-wise, they both have the same DNA. They both have resiliency. They both have toughness. They both bring it 110% all the time, and they're great leaders. And one of the ways to lead, not healthy all the way, but you're healthy enough to play, go out and do what you can for your team, and that's what they did in this game. As far as defense goes for my takeaways, I could talk about Mike Jackson some more because he was impressive. I thought Quandre Diggs came up and made some big hits yesterday. Ryan Neal had another big game. But let's talk about number 51, the only guy on this team that was on the Super Bowl championship team in 2013. And Bruce Irvin, I don't think any of us thought that he was going to come in and play as well as he has in these first two games. I thought he could chip in. I thought he could give the Seahawks a few snaps a game and he would provide that veteran leadership. But He's playing as well as I've seen him play in the last three or four years. He is getting after it in the pass rushing game, run defense. He has been a revelation setting the edge. And that was, again, a weak spot for him early in his career. And he really developed there early with the Seahawks. But he's really he's really been a key part of this run defense turning the corner the last couple of weeks. Just having his presence out there. And I got to talk about that play that he made one more time because – the Giants only got a field goal on this drive in the third quarter, but they don't block him. He goes in the backfield. I don't know that I had ever seen this. I thought I was watching the big Lebowski at Lumen Field <laughs> because Bruce Irvin comes flying in untouched, and rather than try to chase after Saquon Barkley, he just chucks Daniel Jones. He turns Daniel Jones into the bowling ball. He gets the spare by knocking over Barkley and was supposed to be a shotgun pitch counter well, counter this, got thrown to the ground by the quarterback being thrown back into him. I was just waiting for Irvin to stand over him and say, market zero, but it didn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was just, it was an incredible play. That was my favorite play all of yesterday on either side of the ball, just because I had never seen anything like it. And those are the kind of impact plays that he's making. He had a couple pressures yesterday rushing off the edge. I mean, he has not just been a contributor. He has been one of their better defensive players the last two weeks. And you've really seen all the young guys really get something out of that. It's really picked their games up. Seeing a 35-year-old Bruce Irvin making these plays, well, he can do that. So can I. And so the leadership in action is evident there. It really is. I mean, I made the comparison to Adrian Peterson, the impact that he would have on Rashad Penny when when Seattle initially signed Bruce Irvin back. He's that junkyard dog. I mean, this guy is an unbelievable athlete, just like Adrian Peterson. He also plays the game, not like a first-round pick, but as like an undrafted free agent. I mean, he just plays with a ferocity 
um, that the very few players play with. And so I, I think that it's not a coincidence whatsoever that Seattle's defense is completely turned around. Their physicality, their nastiness uh, ever since Bruce Irvin has been brought to the Seahawks. So, yeah, I, I love that you mentioned him because he was absolutely a, uh, a difference maker in this game. And it's not only in the stats, not only in the plays. I think it's on the sidelines as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think that Bruce Irvin deserves and, – and, and the Seahawks, John Schneider, deserves a great deal of credit uh, for bringing him back because, again, I think that the results speak for themselves. Real quick, before we head out here on Monday, we always run out of time for special teams, but I, I had a chance to talk about Will Disley some yesterday, but how about Will Disley going out there and forcing a fumble and recovering a fumble on two different plays on special teams? I mean, I know he's got the defensive background early in his career at Washington, but I think this was kind of that subtle reminder to people that might have forgotten that, and it just shows you why the Seahawks gave him the money that they did. Not just because he's made contributions on offense, getting more opportunities with Geno playing quarterback, but these are the kind of plays you're going to get from Will Disley, who I'm a starting tight end, but I'm still playing special teams, and I'm still chipping in any way that I can. You need as many veterans that do things that way and carry that example as you can. Yeah, you absolutely do. And, and that not only will Disley get that money from the Seahawks, he would have got a very uh, very similar offer from from other teams that's why seattle basically felt like they were forced to i, I love the fact and since we're talking about special teams for a moment i love the fact that that d Eskridge started the game i mean his initial kickoff return i thought he ran with more juice more aggression chirping on the sidelines more kind of uh you know again physicality and and just um you know grit than i have seen him in this entire seattle career so far you of course were at the game maybe you didn't see the way the fox covered it but the fox kind of showed him on the sidelines and again he just played with a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder than we've seen from Eskridge. I thought from the get-go Seattle's special teams offense and defense all proved that they weren't the better team than the Giants and not a lot of people were expecting that when the game kicked off. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well as five days a week on YouTube. We'll be coming back tomorrow with our Tuesday episode. If the Seahawks make any trades, obviously we'll be breaking down that breaking news. Plus it's Tell the Truth Tuesday, our last look back at Sunday's win over the Giants before we shift gears back to the Arizona Cardinals NFC West rematch coming up in week nine. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.